pretty easygoing guy. I really am. I get along with almost everybody. And there's, there's almost nobody on the planet that makes me really angry. You know, it's rare that I just get totally mad at somebody. But I think it's important that we're honest with one another at church. So I'm going to confess to you guys today that there is one person on this planet that I hate with every fiber of my being. I mean, I can't stand him. Every time I see him, my blood just boils. I get so mad just at the sight. I have spent a lot of time with this guy and I've never had an enjoyable time with this guy. Never enjoyed my time with him whatsoever. In fact, I'll do almost anything I can to avoid being around this person. Like he just frustrates me and angers me so much that I'll go to great lengths to get away from him. If I can't get away from him, and I know that like next weekend, I'm gonna have to spend some time with homeboy. I am just like irritated from today until next weekend when I actually spend time with him. That is what he, I just, I can't stand him. Now you might be wondering, who is this guy and is it me? No, it's not you, but I'm not scared to call him out by name either. In fact, you know what? I'm gonna put his picture on the screen. You can take a screenshot and tag him on Facebook. I don't even care. I want him to know how much I hate him. Who is it? Here he is. Ikea man, y'all know about Ikea man? If you've ever put together Ikea furniture, you know about Ikea man. Hate him, look at his smug, stupid face up there. My heart's beating faster just looking at him. I wanna punch him in his big throat. Actually, I don't even know if he has a throat. Just a head and body. Part of my frustration, by the way, if you don't know who this is, this is the little instruction manual guy when you put together Ikea furniture. Part of my frustration with him is that as I'm reading the cartoons, he always seems so happy to be putting together furniture. Can I tell you, putting together Ikea furniture is one of the worst tasks on the planet. It's confusing, it's tedious, and I'm just gonna be real with you guys. It brings out the worst in me. The absolute worst starts to come out for me every time I have to spend any time with this guy. Any, anybody else experience that? Yeah, I call it rage against the Swede, you know? That's just every time I see the Swedish guy, I get so mad at him. And over the last couple of weeks, I've had to spend a lot of time with Ikea, man, because as you may know, you might not, who cares? But anyway, my wife and I, we moved from a house in Evanston to an apartment over in Skyview Ranch. And so, um, of course, when you move, you know, you find out that like a whole bunch of your old furniture doesn't really fit, it's too big or it doesn't match or whatever the case may be. And so we had to sell off all of our old large furniture and then we had to go buy new furniture. Where do you think we went to buy our new furniture? Ikea. So I spent a lot of time with Ikea man over the last few weeks. I spent days and days, like jobs that would have taken a handyman 45 minutes to do. I was still working on it five, five and a half hours in, you know, I'm just not that handy. And so I spent a lot of time putting together wardrobes and shelves and tables and things with names I can't pronounce like Scarlark and Flynn, you know, I just, I don't even know what these things are. And just to be real honest with you guys, I found myself getting more and more frustrated as the time went by. I'm not proud to admit it, but there was some cussing. There was some breaking of things. There were mantrums. 
If you don't know what a mantram is, it's a word that I coined when I wrote this message to describe a man-child tantrum. Ladies, you're welcome. Fellas, I'm sorry. There were a lot of mantrams in the Sueza house over the last couple of weeks. And the truth of the matter is it's so unfair because my sweet wife ended up taking the brunt of it. You know how it is. Like there's only two of us in the house. So who else am I going to get mad at? You know, myself? No. So anyway, she would pop her head into the bedroom where I'm putting together furniture and she would say, hey, how's it going? And what do you want for dinner? And I'm like, woman, if you don't leave me alone and stop asking me questions and let me work, I'm going to lose my mind. I was already losing my mind. Like, you think I'm kidding? But I'm telling you, it was a rough couple of weeks for me. Now, you might expect that, okay, after I got everything put together and all the furniture was placed nicely and Amber was so happy and she came in and she's taking pictures and ooh, look at my new furniture and things like that, that I would have calmed down and I would have felt relieved that it was all behind me and I could have moved on. But that's not what happened. Why? Because I kept thinking about what an idiot I had been over the last several days. And so, you know, I don't think of myself as an angry person, like I told you. And yet I realized, man, I, I tend to get angry over a lot of small things, you know? And I love my wife. Gosh, I love her more than anything on the planet. But I wasn't particularly loving to her during this Ikea fiasco. And yeah, I'm a pastor, but let me assure you, the words that I was saying were not very pastoral. And so even after we were done, I started experiencing some conviction about the way that I had behaved. Like I had said the wrong things. I'd had the wrong attitude. I needed to apologize to my wife, to God, to the dog, you know, because like I just, it wasn't my finest hour. And in that moment, if I had just taken that step and I had said my apologies and answered the conviction that I had in my heart and soul, everything would have been good. But I experienced something that I bet many of you experienced too. And that's like, before I could even take a step towards repentance and apology, the voice that was playing in my head suddenly took a sharp turn. And no longer was I just thinking, hey, you act like an idiot, you lost your temper, you need to go apologize, make this right, and then move on. Instead, the voice in my head started saying things like, dude, you're just a terrible husband. Plain and simple, you're bad at this. In fact, your wife would probably be better if she were married to somebody else. You call yourself a pastor? Come on, dude. How are you going to stand up in front of 150, 250 people on Sunday mornings, tell them how to follow Jesus, and you're cursing out Ikea furniture? Really? Are you even a Christian? Because right now, it doesn't, it doesn't exactly seem like it. Anybody experience that? where you go through this time in which you, you experience conviction, which is good and healthy and right, and it keeps us you know, humble and it heals relationships. And then out of nowhere, it's like the voices, they shift. Suddenly, it's no longer a voice of conviction. Now it's a voice of accusation. So this is week two of our series, When the Devil Knocks. And I told you about my anger issue over the last week because in truth, the devil's been knocking at my door quite a bit over the last few days. And I bet that for many of you in the audience as well, if you were honest or if you had the eyes to see, you would say, you know what? It seems like the devil's been knocking at my door quite a bit lately. I've experienced a lot of temptation, a lot of pressure, a lot of stress, maybe even persecution. I don't know what it looks like, but there are probably many of us that have had 
issues and problems, and we're not even sure what to make of it, but it sure feels like something evil is going on under the surface or behind the scenes. So today what I want to do is I want to just spend a moment to unmask the schemes and expose the lies that our enemy has been telling us. What I want is for you to be free from the negative voice and voices that tell you that you're not loved, that you're not forgiven, that you're not enough in Jesus. I want you to recognize that as the voice of your adversary, and I want you to be able to say, not today, Satan, not today. Now, in order to do that, I'm gonna take you to one of the craziest passages in the entire Bible. It's in the book of Zechariah. And I was thinking through as I was preparing this message that I am pretty positive I've never actually preached from the book of Zechariah. So I've been teaching weekly for 20 years, and this is the first time that we've ever gotten into the book of Zechariah, which I think is pretty cool. It's a first time. So I was fascinated by what I saw in here, and I think you'll be fascinated by what you see in Zechariah chapter number three. Now, we're going to put the verses here on the screen. You're welcome to follow along there. You can also, if you've got a Bible, you're welcome to, to follow along, you know, with that in your hand. Um, I just, you know, again, I'm in a confessing mood today. So when I was flipping through the Bible and trying to find Zechariah, I mean, I have college degrees in the Bible and it took me a really long time to find the book of Zechariah. So if you have this Bible that we give out for free, by the way, out front, you can have it on your way out. Just pick one up. It's totally free. No other strings attached. It's on page 1040. So you could follow along there if you wanted to, okay? I needed the page number, Jason. You're laughing at me. I'm sorry, but I needed it. Okay, watch. No, we're gonna read this passage together, okay? But I wanna set it up because what's going on is there's this guy named Zechariah and Zechariah is a prophet. And although it's in the book of Zechariah, Zechariah is not a character in the um, situation that we're about to read about. Instead, Zechariah is a prophet and God gives him a vision. And in chapter number three, he describes the vision that he received from God. So here we go, Zechariah chapter number three, verse one. Zechariah is speaking about the vision that God has given him. And he says, Then I saw a vision of Joshua the high priest who was standing before the angel of the Lord. The accuser, Satan, was there at the angel's right hand and making accusations against Joshua. Now, I want to kind of explain the characters in this. You know, um, you might see the name Joshua and you might think, oh, this is the Joshua who also has a book named after him in the early part of the Bible. No, it just, it's, a, it's another guy who has the same name. The first Joshua lived like a few hundred years, several hundred years before this particular Joshua. This Joshua was the high priest of Israel. So he was like the pastor of the pastor. He was the Pope of the popes in all of Israel. Like he was the high priest, the guy at the top of the religious hierarchy. So we have this high priest named Joshua. And in this particular set of circumstances, the high priest finds himself on trial. This is the picture that's being painted. The vision that Zechariah has is Joshua, the high priest on trial before God the judge. So Joshua, he's on trial. God is, so to speak, sitting on the bench. He's presiding over these proceedings. And we read here in the verse, uh, verse number two, that Satan, the accuser, the enemy, the devil, yeah, like that guy, he's the prosecutor in this case. He's gonna hurl accusations and charges against Joshua. Joshua's the defendant, 
The devil is present and he's prosecuting Joshua for his supposed sins and crimes. Can any of you guys agree with me? This would be a terrible position to find yourself in. You suddenly, you're in front of God and then the devil's there and he's listing out every terrible thing you ever said and did. You're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe this is even happening. Now, before we move on to the other characters that are here, I wanna spend a few moments and talk to you about Satan, the devil. I mean, come on, like, do you really believe in this guy? Like we live in the 21st century. We know this thing is silly. This is fairy tales. This is mythology. There is no devil. There is no Satan. What in the world are you talking about here? Well, let me help you to understand a little bit at least about who the Bible presents him to be. And if you're a skeptical person, then I want you to know you can still hold on to your skepticism and take the journey with me, okay? I'm not asking you to say, okay, well, in order to listen, I need to believe in the devil and the red cartoon spandex and all. You don't have to believe in any of that. I just want you to stay with me and don't tune me out simply because I'm talking about somebody that you don't believe would exist, okay? So who is this devil? Why is he accusing anybody? Where did he come from? What's going on here? Well, to help you understand that, I wanna show you a couple of the names or the descriptions or titles that are given to uh, the devil in the scripture. Okay, so the first thing that we see is that he is called Satan. And the word Satan, it literally means enemy or adversary. So this is not his personal name. His personal name we find out in the book of Isaiah is Lucifer. But his title, his description is the enemy or the adversary. In, in the ancient language, it was Hasatanus. It was the, the one who opposes. And that's the perfect name for him because you see, we find out in the scripture that the devil was originally an angel that was created by God. But he decided he didn't wanna live under God's rule. Instead, he was gonna rebel and fight against God and everything that God stood for. So he is literally the enemy, the adversary of God. But because every single one of us are created in God's image, like literally every one of you, white and brown, old and young, male, female, every one of us are created in God's image, he also hates us as much as he hates God. You see, if you really wanted to get at somebody and you were evil to the core, you might attack their children, which is exactly what the devil does. So he is the enemy. He's the adversary of everything that's good and right and holy and pure in the world. He is constantly battling against God. And if you're following God, then guess what? You're a part of this battle as well. Now, another common name that's given in the scripture and we use all the time is devil. And the word devil comes from a Greek word, diabolos, you know, diabolical. That's, what, that's the, the other word that we kind of get from here. And this word literally means accuser. The one who accuses, the one who charges and says, you are no good. And I know what you did last summer. He accuses he accuses. Now this word devil, this description is used 35 times throughout the Bible. And it's the perfect explanation of who he is and what he does. Because I'll tell you, Satan sets the same trap for every single person, okay? Every one of us, we face the same exact scheme and trap from this guy called the devil. Here's what he does. Satan tempts us into sin. He gets us into sin with temptations and rationalizations. You know what I mean? So he's the voice in your head that you hear saying things like, it's no big deal. Come on. Nobody's gonna know. Nobody will find out. 
You can do this and get away with it. Besides, you deserve this. You've been so good. You've done all the right things. You've worked hard and they've passed you over. So you know what? Get yours. You do what you need to do in this situation. You know everybody does it anyway, right? You're the only one pretending like they don't do these sorts of things. You'll love it. If you'll just give in, smoke it, snort it, steal it, buy it, touch it, you'll love it. Then when we listen to the voice, the tone changes. And he's saying things like, you're pathetic. You don't deserve her. You don't deserve those kids. The world would be a better place without you in it. Nobody would want you after this. Who would ever agree to marry you after what you just did? You're never gonna be free from this addiction. This is who you are. You better just give in. You know what? God himself wouldn't even want anything to do with you. You are so broken. You are so flawed. You are so screwed up that you might as well ride this train as long as you possibly can because one day you're gonna die and either you're gonna stand before God and he's gonna be so mad at you for what you've done or you're just gonna go to sleep and you're not gonna wake up. So why not give in? Why not go further? Because that is who you are. So the trap of the devil is to get us into sin through temptation, but he keeps us under the power of sin through accusation. He will accuse us when we give in. He will accuse us. Maybe we could, we could phrase it like this. Satan's temptations target your actions, but his accusations target your identity. This is, what, this is how you know the difference. This is what he's up to. He wants to target your actions, but the actions are really not what he's after. Do you understand this? The, the devil, the evil force, the enemy, whoever, whatever you want to call him. He's not after you smoking. He's not after you sleeping with your boyfriend. He's not after you like doing anything. The doing part is just so that he can attack your identity after you've given in. Because once he attacks your identity, if you start to believe those lies about who you think you are now because of what you've done, then he's got you. You're ensnared. You're trapped. I was talking to Troy Reeves a few days ago. Troy said something that stuck with me. Uh, he said, you know, the enemy is not very creative. And he's not creative because he doesn't have to be. Every one of us fall for this exact same trap. We're tempted to do the wrong thing. We do it. We hear the voice of God's spirit saying, okay, we know that wasn't right. I still love you though. Let's make this thing right. But instead we wanna listen to the voice of the accuser who says, you are too damaged. You are no good. God will never accept you. Your wife will never forgive you. Your husband will never embrace you again. See, his temptations target your actions, but his accusation, that goes after your identity. So the accuser is doing to Zechariah, oh, I'm sorry, to um, Joshua here in Zechariah chapter number three. He is doing to Joshua what he does to all of us. He's hurling accusations. He's telling us that we are unclean and unfit to serve God. Now, you might expect me to say in this moment, you are not unclean and you are not unfit and you are totally righteous with God. You know what, though? It turns out that the things that Satan was saying about Joshua the high priest were apparently true. 
There's this fascinating little detail in verse number three. We'll put it back on the screen for you. The Bible points out that in this vision, Joshua is standing before God, the judge, Satan is there accusing. And the Bible says Joshua's clothing was filthy as he stood there before the angel. Now you might think, was he like working in the garden in the backyard and suddenly God's like, hey, come up here. I need to have a chat with you for a second. You know, did God just catch him in a moment where he hadn't cleaned himself up and got ready to go into God's presence? No. So this is a vision. And what it means is that all of the details that are there are highly symbolic. They are supposed to represent something. And the fact that his clothes are filthy, they're dirty in this particular moment, what it tells us is that Joshua was sinful. Whatever it was, we don't know, the Bible doesn't actually tell us, but whatever it was that Satan was saying Joshua did, the Bible is giving us a hint that, yeah, he actually did it. So Joshua's in trouble here, you know what I'm saying? He is standing before a holy and perfect God. He is getting accusations and charges hurled at him and they're all completely true. I would not wanna be in Joshua's shoes right now. You probably wouldn't either. Here's the good news. There's one more person inside of the courtroom on this day in Zechariah chapter number three. You might've noticed the Bible said also that there was the angel of the Lord present. Now, if you're not familiar with the Bible or if you're just kind of giving it a cursory reading, you might say, oh, there's an angel there. Well, that's nice. Maybe it's a guardian angel. We're gonna talk about angels and their whole deal and whether or not we really have guardian angels. We're gonna talk about that next week. I promise we're gonna cover a lot of that. But in truth, I want you to notice that the Bible doesn't call this being an angel of the Lord. It's not like there was an angel there as well, Michael or Gabriel or you know one of these other guys. no. In fact, the Bible uses a specific title here. It talks about the angel of the Lord. And anytime the Bible in the Old Testament talks about the angel of the Lord, it's not referencing just like an, 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 an angel, an angelic being, but instead it is pointing us to a more specific person. You see the word angel, we'll talk about this next week, but the word angel, it literally just means messenger. Or another way that we could understand this word, it is one who is sent by God. So we have this title that's used here. It is the angel of the Lord, not just one angel, but it's the one. And then it's really somebody who is sent by God. Who's the ultimate person that was sent by God? It's Jesus. So scholars and theologians and me personally for what that's worth, I believe that this wasn't just a high ranking angel, that this is actually a title and a reference to Jesus Christ himself. So it's not just Joshua standing guilty before the judge and accused by Satan, but standing right there alongside of him in Zechariah chapter number three is Jesus. So Joshua is the defendant, Satan is the accuser, but Jesus is Joshua's advocate. He is the one who is speaking on his behalf, pleading his case and arguing for mercy for this sinful guy. We read in, in, uh, uh, oh yeah, let's, um, so we read in 1 John chapter number two, sorry. We can put the next uh, slide up there. We read in 1 John. Chapter number two, that if anyone sins, they have an advocate 
with the Father, who is Christ Jesus, the righteous. Guys, it's true that you and I have an accuser. There is somebody, there is a voice. You can call it the voice of your mom. You can call it, you know, the voice of your boss. You can call it your own internal monologue. I don't really care what you decide to call it, but I'm telling you, ultimately, it is the voice of our enemy, the accuser of the brothers and sisters. And yes, every one of us has an accuser. But even more importantly, in Jesus, every one of us has an advocate, somebody who is on our side and doing for us, arguing for us when we don't have any rational basis or reasonable stance to argue for ourselves. So I want you to look at what the angel of the Lord, remember this is Jesus. I want you to look at what the angel of the Lord has to say during this trial, this court proceeding. It's so, so good. So the Bible says, um, this man, so the angel says, this man is like a burning stick that has been snatched from the fire. So this is another clue that whatever uh, Joshua was accused of, he was guilty of. He's like a stick that has started to burn, but he's been yanked out at the last second before he can be consumed. So it says Joshua's clothing was filthy as he stood before the angel. So the angel, Jesus, said to the others standing there, take off his filthy clothes. Turning to Joshua, he said, see, I have taken away your sins. Who takes away sins? It's not angels. It's Jesus. I have taken away your sins and now I am giving you fine new clothes. If filthy clothes represented sinfulness, then fine new clean clothes represent a right standing, a righteousness with the Father. Then... The angel said, they should also place a clean turban on his head. This was the Middle East. This was the style back then. They should place a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean priestly turban on his head and they dressed him in new clothes while the angel of the Lord stood by. The reason I think this passage is so wonderful and powerful is it it is the acted out picture of the gospel, the good news, the forgiveness that we all have through Jesus. Yes, there are accusations against us. Yes, we've all screwed up royally. The accusations are probably true. I probably am not the best husband in the world. And as a pastor, I probably shouldn't be using those words. And I don't know if I am qualified to stand on stage and to try to teach you how to lead Jesus. They all might be true. And yet in Christ, we've been forgiven and given a fresh start. My sin has been taken away. I've been accepted by God, not because I got it right, but because God is merciful and gracious when I keep getting it wrong. See, what the Bible teaches is that salvation, it is an act of God. It's not an act of ourselves. We don't clean ourselves up. We don't see Joshua, the high priest saying, God, just give me a minute. And he's over there scrubbing his clothes so he can be cleaned up. No, 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 no. In order to be clean, in order to have a right standing with God, God has to do something on Joshua's behalf. Jesus has to step in and say, let me take care of your dirty clothes. Let me handle your sinful mistakes. And I'm going to make you clean. I'm gonna give you right standing before the judge so that even though whatever the accuser might say about you is technically true, I'm not gonna let it stay true any longer. Salvation is a gift. It is something that God gives to us. It's not something that we earn. I think there's a really great principle here. I think it's so powerful. You see, the devil, he knows your name, 
but he calls you by your sin. He attacks your identity. He knows your name, but he doesn't want you to remember your identity in Christ. So he's gonna call you by your sin. You are gonna be defined by the mistakes that you've made. But God knows your sin and still chooses to call you by your name. I love this because it means everybody knows our sin, except for us. We're the only ones that seem to pretend like we don't have it. Everybody knows how flawed we are. The question is, am I going to be defined by my sin or am I going to be defined by an even deeper identity? Jesus took care of Joshua's sin. He's taking care of Dan's sin. He's taking care of many of your sin and he offers to take care of the sin of the entire world if we'd let him. But Jesus just doesn't stop there by giving him some new clothes, patting him on the behind and sending him on his way. Look what Jesus does next. Look at what he says. Verse number six, the angel of the Lord spoke very solemnly to Joshua. And he said, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. Again, if you're confused, you're like, I don't know if this is really Jesus or just an angel. He is speaking on God's behalf. He has an authority here. He says, if you follow my ways and carefully serve me, then you will be given authority over my temple and its courtyards. I will let you walk among the others that are standing here. Jesus didn't look at Joshua and say, all right, buddy. All right, we've taken care of it this time, but this is last chance. You're on probation from here on out. And if you mess up again, if you show back up with dirty clothes, so to speak, you're done. It's over. He doesn't do that. Instead, if you pay close attention here, he doesn't, not only does he not mention Joshua's sins, but instead he gives him authority and leadership over the temple of God. So it's not just like, all right, I forgive you. Now go live your life, do your thing and be good. Instead, he says, because what I've done for you, I'm gonna put you in a place of authority over my own house. I don't care how sinful you are. I don't care how flawed you are. I don't care how limited you are. Then he says to him, I'm going to give you access and influence in the heavenly realms. Did you notice he said that? I will allow you to walk among the others that are also here. Who are the others that are there? Angels. He's given him an authority and an access. It's not just like, okay, you know, don't screw up again. He says, no, 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 I have cleaned you up and I have set you in a place of authority because I have something that I want you to do. He has taken care of all of Joshua's brokenness and then he has empowered him to go and to serve the brokenness in the world. When we give Christ authority in our lives, he gives us authority in heaven and in earth. You remember a few weeks ago when I gave you keys? You remember that? And I said, listen, Jesus told his followers, I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you unlock on earth will be unlocked in heaven. We have an authority. We have, an, we have a standing, even in the heavenly realms. And it does not come from us. Our clothes are filthy. We're completely at a loss. But Jesus has cleansed us. And then he set us free to change the world. Okay. So the only character that we have not heard about in this story yet is who? God, the judge. We've heard from Satan. We've heard about Joshua. We've heard from the angel, from Jesus. God has not said anything yet, but he does say something. 
Look at what God says in verse number two. And the Lord said to Satan, I, the Lord, reject your accusations. The Lord rebukes you. Yeah, Joshua screwed up, but he is not defined by his actions. His identity is as one of my children. He's been chosen. He's been empowered. I have taken care of every mistake he's ever made. So you are not going to call him as a failure anymore. You are not going to call him by his sin. I am going to call him by his name. Now, I want you to notice the two words that are there in God's statement. Reject and rebuke. So let me end with asking you a question. Why would you receive accusations against yourself that God himself rejects and rebukes? Why would you go day in and day out and say, man, I'm a failure. I'm a terrible dad and I'm no good and I'm just an addict and I'm not smart or I'm not attractive and I'm not and I'm not and this is who I am. And why would you receive accusations against yourself that God himself has already said, Satan, I reject that and I rebuke you. What we need to do is to recognize our identity, what God has done for us and what he wants to continue to do in us, to be free from the lies and the traps of the devil and to accept and embrace our identity as a beloved, forgiven and freed child of our heavenly father.